it's, it's the Dan and Omar show. We've got a couple of couple more shows before uh, before we have a little winter break of our our own. Um, but a couple of things looking ahead to the to this uh, January window, but also the summer window, uh, which obviously can become topical um, next month. A couple of topics uh, to take us through to winter this week on on free transfers, and next week on on the changes uh, caused by Brexit to, to work permits. Uh, but yeah, we thought, um, Dan, you made a good point. He messaged me over the weekend on um, topics to discuss this week. And uh, just as Jeannie Wijnaldum whipped, whipped that shot into the top corner, all, all thoughts turned to whether he's actually going to be at Anfield next summer. Uh, obviously, we had the whole Lionel Messi contract extension saga over uh, over last summer. So a good opportunity to chat about, chat about free transfers, I think, and how they come about, what's the implications of them, how clubs think about them, uh, what are they kind of how they work at a kind of contractual level as well. Uh, be useful to kind of spin back though the clock and go back to 95 and, and the Bosman ruling. So what, what was the situation before free transfers? Free, free transfers obviously haven't always been a thing. Yeah, um, it was funny. You, you asked me that when we were doing prep and I drew a complete blank for a second. It wasn't necessary that I didn't know what happened to pre-Bosman. Pre um, but bearing in mind I was probably nine years old at the time. Um, yeah, it was, uh, that was actually part of my uh, undergraduate law school uh, dissertation and then actually for a lot of my MA. So if I don't know about Bosman, I'm, I'm really and truly stuck. So um, yeah, the, 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 the basics, basis, and Bosman's got a lot to answer for really because that was one of the reasons why I decided to be a lawyer probably and then keep on going on the law track into um, sports and, and football stuff in advance of our next week Brexit and work permit chat. But, you know, the basics were that um, Bosman was um, a footballer who played at um, a Belgian team called Liège. Um, playing contracts expired 1990. And Dunkirk were a team that wanted to um, buy him effectively, but they didn't offer enough of a, a transfer fee to um, Liège to, to sell. Um, and as a result, Liège kept his registration, didn't allow him to leave the club, even though um uh, his contract his employment contract had come to an end but they retained his registration and ultimately five years down the line the court of justice um agreed with bosman that the situation was unfair and he should be allowed to move to another club once his um once his contract had ended um he took it all the way to the court of justice and the the outcome of that um in a nutshell, was that free agency became the norm. I know it's almost an unheard of thing and seems so counterintuitive that, you know, as as more, most recently as 1995, um, a player, even though they were out of contract, couldn't move on a free, um, on a Bosman. I mean, it's literally become the, the, the actual term itself. But what it meant was that when a footballer came to the end of his or her contract, he was free or he or she was free to sign for any club um, based in the EU. That obviously then expanded to lots of other um, jurisdictions that obviously weren't within the EU. And it was effectively illegal for the club he or she played for to hold on to the playing registration. Now, interestingly, an aside to the Bosman free agency part was actually EU quotas became illegal as well. well. We'll maybe lead on to that point for next week, but that's almost the forgotten element of the three plus two rule, the foreigner and the assimilated player rule. Um, but um, obviously now that um, the UK will be outside of the EU for the significant future, that maybe plays into um, more of the discussion for, for next week. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul Jean-Marc Bosman, I don't think he's, 
he didn't have a kind of obviously it was five years um that that whole court case he didn't have a, a particularly glittering career despite being synonymous with players securing bumper contracts didn't didn't actually um end up securing much money i think through football himself which is um which is a real travesty really no i mean he is the he is the outlier um you know he's the one that um enabled you know those first players if i remember correctly you know I write about it in the Dundee book that you I know that you've mentioned as well in various pieces that you've written about, you know, um back in I think it was late nineties, um uh Barcelona bid ten or twelve million pounds uh, for Steve McManaman from Liverpool one year out of his contract. McManaman holds tight, waits a year and goes to Real Madrid on a free. Um he was one of the first high profile players. We probably cried a little bit at the time as Liverpool fans back in the day. You know, probably earns does earn a huge amount of money because Real Madrid don't have to pay a transfer fee to Liverpool, and out of thin air, in a way, out of thin air, the market and transfer dynamics for the way that um, clubs would calculate transfer costs and player wages based on free agency um, changes the the football transfer landscape over overnight. And you know, I'd be interested in your thoughts about how. In a way, Omar, that's evolved over over time to to work through at least from a very basic position that if a if a buying club isn't having to pay a transfer fee, the incentives that that buying club can provide by way of higher wages, higher bonuses, higher signing on fees, and loyalty bonuses, um, because that money can go direct to the player rather than to the selling club. Yeah, exactly. And you'll be able to speak to, to some of the clauses, but, um, you know, fundamentally, um, you know, when when a club pays, you know, £40 million transfer fee for a player, yes, it's not paid all up front, it's paid in instalments. And from an accounting point of view, it's amortised over over the period of time that that player's um, at the club. Um, but the moment you lose that, that's, that's a really chunky um, aspect of, um, you know, a player's cost. And actually, as a bit of a tangent and aside, we've actually written a piece this week, which will, which will hopefully be published uh, later this week or next week, on um, the benefit of having academy players compared to purchase players and, and the cost savings that come with that. And if you take, uh, uh, I don't know, a Jack Grealish, for example, at, at Aston Villa, he's costing Aston Villa something like seven, eight million a year less than they would have to pay in the transfer market to gain an equivalent player. And that's kind of like what you get with the with the free transfer as well, where you're essentially paying a lot less um to acquire a player. Now, obviously for a club they have to they have to pay more in wages. And that's that's where it can get quite tricky because if you've got a squad, let's say, you know, you've got lots of players around uh, earning around, I don't know, three, four million um pounds a year uh, in their in their contracts. Uh, and this free agent becomes available in the marketplace who's as good as some of your best players, but comes without a transfer fee. So that player's going, well, you know, you're saving a lot of money here on the fee. Why don't you give some of that some of that to me in wages? Uh, but the challenge that clubs have is that if you suddenly start paying that player six, seven, eight million pounds a year, all the other players in the squad are going to go, wait a minute here, I'm, I'm just as valuable as... Um, as player X that you've just signed, I should be earning that as well. And, it, you know, I shouldn't be punished for the fact that I decided to leave midway through a contract and therefore you have to pay a transfer fee. So, yeah, there's from a squad building dynamic, some teams have done it well, like you've or have done it quite a lot, like Juventus, who they purchased quite a few out of contract players, Emery Chan, 
um, Aaron Ramsey. I think there's been a couple of others as well. So they probably run into a few issues like that. Uh, plus, I got Cristiano as well, so no one can ever claim to have Cristiano's wages as well, I suppose. Um, but yeah, from a squad planning um, point of view, it's um, it's a bit challenging, which which makes you wonder that why why would a player ever sign a long term contract? Uh, and I know we've spoken about this a little bit before, but why why do players sign five year deals? You know, when they join a club. Well, um, lots of re- reasons. I mean, in a way, it's the the basics are it's the Scotty Pippen argument. Um, you know, we, the 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 Jordan documentary, which was fantastic. In part, one of those whole um, um, one of those whole episodes was to do with how undervalued Scotty Pippen was because he signed up for the Bulls at a, um, what was, I guess, at the time, perhaps just under market rate, but on a very long-term deal to secure the future of for himself, for his family. Um, and then they had a much harder time being able to renegotiate that contract at a later time, which led to a lot of internal discontent at a variety of different times when, obviously, Jordan and others were being paid, you know, sometimes 10 or 15 times um, that amount. Now... Um, it, it, there can be plenty of nuances in all of that. One being that even though you might sign a long-term deal, what is becoming a lot more nuanced these days are release clauses and buyout clauses. So it might be actually the complete inverse of that is that the way that you get a, a talented young player to sign a long-term deal is for some type of midway release clause slash buyout amount so that um, the player gets the benefit of a long-term deal um, maybe at a good value or a slight undervalue because you're having to value the benefit to the player of that clause, which if done well and pitched at the right number, gives the club and the player the flexibility to be able to get out of that um, contract a bit earlier on. I mean, the, the other points that's also worth considering is it, it might well be that, again, if it's a local player, who has been a boy, I, I hate to use the sentimental grounds, but if it's Carragher rather than Suarez at Liverpool, you know, it might well be that a local boy might be undervalued in the squad sense of it, but might be more happy to sign a longer term big deal rather than um, a shorter term deal for a player that sees something as a stepping stone. Um, you know, you only have to look... Um, you only have to look to you know the, the horrendous injury to um, Jimenez over the last week or so to see the fragility of a player's career is the truth. Now, I think a lot of the time players would rather sometimes I could be completely wrong, rather sign a longer term deal slightly at an undervalue, perhaps unless their agent is feeling pretty bullish about the, the situation. Mm-hmm. The other point to bear in mind as well is depending on depending on the negotiation and who 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 holds more of the cards you you sometimes might want a sh- slightly shorter term deal as a player because it increases um, if the installments on your signing on bonuses or loyalty bonuses are over the next two or three years a longer term deal might might, for example, be more lucrative, but then you're going to have to wait longer to get all of those bonuses as well. Query whether the bonuses will all add up to the same thing in the end, but ideally you might want to earn more money quicker 
is one thing. Now, the last thing I'll just say, because I'm monopolizing, monopolizing the conversation a bit at the moment, is um, what can sometimes happen is there can be obviously options. And there are a number of clubs that will put options in deal, like a three plus one or a four plus one or whatever else it might be. And usually that option is a club unilateral option. Um, and that's always the thing to consider there, I think, which is um, club having the power to um, uh, ensure that that extra year option is engaged. Like I think was the case, I think was the case with Pogba. I think United in, engaged the Pogba option. Rel I could be completely wrong or read this wrong, but there's certainly been instances United seem to be a club that have that unilateral option available to them at uh, a lot of different times. Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's a kind of complex, complex picture. I've just seen um, uh, a, a question as well from Olivier. Um, and please, if you've got any other questions, please send them in, as well as compliments, which I can see Montel has, has fired in there. Thank you very much, Montel. Oh, no, is that, do you think, are you being trolled or is that, or is that a genuine uh, bit of fan mail? Uh, I think that's fan mail. Well, I'll take it as fan mail. And, <laughs> uh, but, but Olivier asking, Alibo is using the argument that Munich did not pay a transfer fee for him as a youth player and therefore uh, should account this uh, in his new salary. How could this shift the market if Munich would agree? I think... I think that's a really interesting, interesting argument. I mentioned the kind of Jack Grealish example earlier, um, where I think academy developed players or players who are acquired for free in the first instance um, uh, do have that that kind of ability to, to kind of hold their ground there. Um, I think the one thing that players need to be a little bit careful of, though, is it may be pricing themselves out of sell-on markets if they're not playing that well. I know this is um, this is actually quite a big issue for Premier League clubs historically, where they might sign a player from, uh, know, say France, and give them a massive salary increase. You know, he might have been earning you know, a million a year before. Now they're earning five million a year. Who's going to buy that player if that um, if that player doesn't work out of the club? Um, and so, uh, sure, the player's happy, I suppose, sitting on the bench. Although some some aren't, uh, and they have to therefore you know trade off. Do I take a pay cut and play somewhere else or uh, do I just sit on the bench here um, but I think um, yeah players they also yeah they need to be kind of cognizant of I guess of their their place within the marketplace and Alaba is probably absolutely fine because he's you know one of the top players in the world and, and would be able to kind of command a salary commensurate to what he earns at buying pretty much anywhere else because there's a lot of clubs that would want him uh, but I think with other players that there's a balance to be tread can I ask the inverse then? I, I think what is the inverse of that um, question that we talked about um, in prep for this, which is, for example, the Aubameyang situation. Obviously, United, United, Arsenal have given Aubameyang an extra two two years, so he's two and a half years left of a, a newer deal. How much do you think the original pretty high transfer fee that Arsenal paid to Dortmund? then impacted apart obviously from him being a you know world-class player but you know is starting to uh, this doesn't sound defa uh, defamatory is starting to melt i guess as a as a striker getting towards the 30 um 30 age group mark is 30 or 31 31 now yeah, yeah um how does that um you know impact on the decision making subconsciously or otherwise perhaps mm -hmm. your um, in your experience of, si of re-signing someone that you've spent a lot of money on and potentially are going to lose on a free? Yeah, exactly. I think we have a, um, a sunk cost bias in a, in a lot of things that we do. Uh, I think the example that gets used quite a lot is, let's say you went and bought a sandwich that you didn't really like um, 
and you just end up eating it anyway because you've bought it and so you feel like you've made that investment you've got to go and eat it um whereas if you got it for free you might just put it to one side because you've not got you're invested any any money in it um, and so in some ways footballers are a bit like that when you spent a lot of money uh, now Aubameyang's done a great job for Arsenal and so the question is I guess uh do Arsenal believe that they can get him back up to to the level he's performing at a couple of years ago which you know is in question um given given his age as well um but yeah, that's that's one of the challenges I think clubs have when they renew deals is that um you know maybe they they kind of want to chase um chase the result that they desired um you know m- months earlier um but there are also kind of and I don't profess to be an accountant but there are also um uh kind of cost sa- well, not cost saving but accounting savings yeah. amortization yeah amortization contracts yeah over a longer period of time which i know was something that for example man city did that there was a lot of question marks um when man city renewed the deals of i think it was vincent company yaya toure david silver aguero uh, this would have been four four years ago or so, all of them kind of heading into their 30s. Um, and a lot, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people were like, well, why are they extending the contracts to these players? The performance is going to decline. Well, actually, in a lot of cases, I think they were just trying to add hefty transfer fees that they wanted to kind of spread the cost off uh, over a longer period of time. And Man City have obviously been towing the line on, on financial fair play uh, mm-hmm. for, for a period of time. So... Yeah, it's there's so many moving pieces. I think that's the main kind of takeaway with uh, a contract um, situation from both the club and player point of view. Um, yeah, can I just want maybe just ask one other point there because I guess with Arsenal, as with other clubs, Liverpool with Chan, for example, or Arsenal with um, Ramsey, I guess, obviously going on the free as well. Do, do you think then? Um, Obviously, every deal is different, but I'm thinking about, you know, William coming in at 32, obviously on a free, but on quite big money. I pres- I think it was reported it was a three-year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the same with Aubameyang um, on a longer-term deal. Do, do you think fans appreciate that, um, at least maybe on Aubameyang, I don't necessarily follow on for too long, but in a way, the investment that a club will probably have to make in him that might be another hundred million over the next three years. That actually, uh, um, thirty or forty million pound up and coming striker mixed with a hundred thousand pounds a week or ninety thousand pounds a week um, might as well be attractive. But the the yearning not to lose value, as we were talking about, mm-hmm. is almost greater than the losing everything for nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's um, that's that's the kind of. Um the question that that clubs have got a hold of their mind i think the the, the fear i know you know the, the, the stories of tottenham for example after losing sol campbell for free would never want to lose a player for for free uh, and obviously they managed to get some money for christian erickson mm-hmm. um, last winter as well which is they kind of kept by kept by that uh, on the whole um and i think there is there is a sense of it is a real loss it feels like a real loss to lose a player on the free but as you say I think that clubs are getting smarter at seeing that longer term perspective and seeing the kind of money that does get thrown at a player over a three or four year deal. Um, and obviously, you know, signing a tw- uh, you know, 21, 22 year old player will be cheaper um, because there might be resale value there at, at 25, 26. Um, the, yeah, it's just, it, it's just a balance really, I think. Um, and it's, 
you know, when you've also got all these kind of softer factors, you know, I think about me, I'm quite a good character in the dressing room for Arsenal. Um, so, you know, how do you, how do you put a value on that? Because someone coming into the dressing room age 21, 22 is not going to give you that. Um, so I don't envy clubs having to make, having to make these, uh, these decisions. Um, you, you do a lot of work with, with agents down. I think the um, perception of an agent would be in a situation like Messi or one album or, whoever else is, is out of contract this summer, I think Depay, Aguero and so on, that it's kind of like the agent being a bit greedy about it because they see this opportunity that we spoke about earlier. How close is that to the reality? And I'm sure that there's a range. Yeah, I mean, every deal is different. And by the way, I mean, it might be another piece for another day, which is the, the quality of player, at least at the very, very high end of people you just talked about now, I've, I've never seen before. I mean, obviously Messi is... What is an island in himself, really? But you know the potential for alter contract players there is is yeah. I've got the up on transfers with Messi, Alaba, Donnarumma, Depay, Aguero, Wijnaldum, Di Maria, Talvan, Kalinolu, and uh, Milik, Draxler. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite a uh, it's quite a quite a decent list. Well, not a bad five aside or two five aside. Amazing. So the the question more or less is for a lot of agents, and and we're only really talking about the elite player, elite agents with elite uh, agencies at elite um, clubs when they're moving. Is it's the query of is an agent going to make significantly more uh, transferring the player for free, um, or keeping the player um, with an enhanced um, number because of the risk of the player leaving for free? Um, I would have thought in most cases it's in the agent's interest to move the player. I think it's more likely that um, you're going to move up to higher bands as a result of uh, moving, as sometimes is the case in lots of different employment sectors and fields generally. Moving moving company can, can help in that respect. Um, but again, it also depends on how the agent is looking to, to make the deal. Some agents or things you things are reported are like, you know, an agent saying, well, unless I'm getting five million um, by way of agency fee, if a player's on a free or if a player's wanting to move or their agent's trying to move him, then we're not we're not having a conversation here. So, you know, the budget, um, um, the budget constraints for a potential free transfer would obviously include significant. Again, that's over the length. We're talking about over the length of a contract here. It's not like suddenly an agent is going to be guaranteed. 10 million pounds or 5 million pounds or 3 million pounds straight up. It just still doesn't necessarily happen that way. But I think the thing that's, if I can turn the question back around as well, because I think it might be of value as well, is, you know, someone like Wijnaldum, at least it's been reported that since he moved from Newcastle, that actually he hasn't, because he signed a, lot, a, a pretty long-term deal, that he hasn't had a contract renegotiation, I don't think, since his move, which means he's still, with bonuses, on that initial money um, um, which he was on a number of years ago. Now, I presume he could have increased that money a couple of years ago if they decided to negotiate at that time. But the longer you leave it, the longer you risk on missing out on the free transfer, but you're willing to take that opportunity cost hmm. because you want to be able to value yourself higher. Yes. Go on. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, it's a really good point because... Peter renegotiated, say after Liverpool won the Champions League or, or before that, um, could easily have kind of increased his earnings, let's say by you know, 30, 40%, because Liverpool's revenues have gone up significantly in, in that period of time. So actually, 
you know, we talk about when a player moves to a new club, big increase in earnings, but actually a lot of that might be compensating for the lost earnings, as it yeah. were, from, from not renegotiating earlier, which I think is often an overlooked point. And I think then as a result, I, I completely agree. It was almost like the um, Emre Chan situation before he left for Juve, which was Liverpool just weren't willing to um, uh, value him at the level that they were valuing their top stars at the time on, regardless of his transfer value plus wage incremental, um, which would obviously have upset those those bands now for what you're able to, to share. I'd be really interested in that type of um, analysis because that's ultimately what the club is balancing, which is can we afford, maybe can we afford to pay him is one thing, but can we afford that in terms of then the signal that it sets for everybody else? Now, maybe yeah. Genie is the outlier because he, he plays, this guy it, you know, is first 11 for the last three seasons when Liverpool's biggest games come along, granted maybe first half of Barcelona at home, he didn't play. Second half, he scores two very good, important goals. But the, the guy plays and is the mainstay of that midfield, along with Henderson, really, and Fabinho. So, you know, if, if there ever was a player that was going to have that um, ups, uplift at Liverpool, mm. I get his agent would be arguing, Genie is the player. Um, query how long the deal is and how much it's for, but... Mm. Maybe already answered the question, but that's sort of that's what my sort of sense is. Yeah, clubs are increasingly sophisticated about the way that they, um, you know, value their players, and you can there are models now that give a sense of okay, well, what's the actual revenue return on on this player? So you know, if I'm if I uh, if I'm playing this player and he's playing this many minutes in a season, what's that actually contributing to? You know, given his performance level, how does that increase my chances of? reaching Champions League knockout stages or finishing higher in the Premier League, winning FA Cups or whatever. And so you can you can put a monetary value on that and say, okay, well, this player is is worth X um, to my team. And I know teams like Liverpool are incredibly sophisticated in in doing things like that. So they would have done, they would have done the maths and and Wijnaldum's team would have kind of done their own market benchmarking and and perhaps they're not they're not kind of perfectly aligned at this point in time. But Liverpool will point at that track at their track record and go, well, you know, we didn't. We sold Coutinho for X, you know, we didn't renegotiate Emre Chan, we um, you know, sold Solanke or whoever for, for Y and look where we are now. So from Liverpool's perspective, they're, they're, I think they're probably looking at it from a, a pretty pretty comfortable and confident in their own decision making, which isn't which isn't always the case at clubs because I think you know a lot of clubs will want to try and will do everything to keep an individual player that, that's contributed so much to the team. But I think um yeah, Liverpool have got a pretty good, pretty good handle on it from their track record. Yeah, I think, um, and and look, maybe the the elephant in the room is Messi. Um, if we maybe finish on on him, I know we have we haven't really talked about him too much, but you know, he he still is. I, I guess I could be completely wrong. Is still probably the most, maybe not quite be the same extent, is the most valuable player in world football. Um, still and is available to sign a pre contract in in January. So the the question. The question, I guess, for his representatives is, is he going to be uh, profit maximising or is he going to be glory maximising for the last couple of years of his his career, having obviously won everything with Barca? It's not like, could be wrong, but it's not like he needs the money to the same extent. No. He's going to go to a league or a club or re-sign Barca, who knows whether it happens or not, where you know he can have a couple more years of you know, really pushing for um, Gloria to in another in another league. 
Yeah. Well, as we know, the 21st club player model is the gospel on on player ratings, and and Messi is still number one in our in our model. He's still a top rated player in the world. The gap is closing. Who's yeah. sorry? Sorry. Who's number two? Uh, Lewandowski, actually, and then Kevin De Bruyne. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he is almost invaluable, Messi. I mean, he's um, his contribution is 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 kind of staggering even now um, at his age. Um, he probably doesn't have the commercial value that uh, Cristiano has, um, and so when we talk about yeah most valuable players, it's it's kind of hard to say. But Messi's performance way outstrips Cristiano's at the moment, and you know a, a Man City or a, a Juve or whoever that might want to might want to sign him would I think still see you know see good chances of winning uh, you know their leagues and, and continental competitions with um, with him in the team. So you still got you still got a lot of value out there. You, it's so. I mean, you know, you look at Messi's reported salary; it's just it's so beyond anyone else's. Um, you know, we talk about players pricing themselves out the market. He's just got a really interesting choice, I think, because I just don't know. There aren't going to be many clubs that can make it work from a financial fair play perspective. Mm. Uh, but he, he, but he would be available on on the free, so he wouldn't have wouldn't have to eat that transfer fee. So yeah, it's going to be another saga this summer, and provided we don't have another weird season where the date at which a season ends and all, all that comes with it um, doesn't interfere with, with Messi's contract. I think we, we could be in for, for another interesting decision that he's got to make. One final one, because we're at half past. If you were a betting man, and I know you don't have any inside information anyway, who so who, who would you say are probably the three, let's just say top three clubs that would at least potentially fit with Messi's style, style of play or which, which clubs would best suit uh, Messi's style of play? Oh, best suited style of play. Well, I guess I mean you've got to look at Man City and, and Bayern. Um, Man City because you know the Pep link. Um, Bayern, you know, such a dominant team. Uh, have to play in tight spaces. Um, you know, no, probably no player in the in the great in the history of the game who's, who's been better in in tight spaces than Messi. So those two really stand out. Um, but we'd happily see him at Liverpool. Uh, I just don't think they're going to pay pay the salary. We'll start the collection fund, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Really good. Do you want to just talk very briefly on, because um, I know we don't really mention it too much, but it's really important to just to talk about some of the work that Twenty First Club do generally, um, and the things you you tend to help with, because I think it's always important for people to know the great work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, so yeah, we're we're a strategic advisory business, uh, sports intelligence agency, working in um, in football, but also a number number of other sports and. This transfer topic is is a topic that we do a lot of work in. Uh, we do a lot of work essentially at the intersection of of sport and finance, um, and and this is this is a great example of that. Where trying to evaluate how much players are worth and what they'll contribute to the team is, is exactly the type of sphere that we operate in. So questions around should we spend X on this player are, are the types of questions that we tend to tend to help clubs in. And you guys have been invaluable with some of the transfer negotiations that I've been involved in with some agents in terms of benchmarking, in terms of valuation, in terms of negotiation positions and all of that, uh, I think is part of the sort of fascinating, evolving negotiation landscape, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think both sides of the table are getting smarter. Uh, it's only heading in one direction. And if you if you aren't getting smart, then you're getting left behind and, and you're leaving money on, on the table either way. So... Yeah, exciting, exciting time to be in the industry in that respect. So uh, last point is next week, which I think might be our last before our winter break, um, is 
on the fun topic of uh, Brexit and work permits. So I'm going to try and take you through um, some of the, the nuances of the lovely new regulations and um, Omar's going to ask me some difficult questions. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a lot of FA document reading to be done before then. Looking forward to it. Cheers, Dan. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.